0: Welcome to the Destiny podcast. We hope this message blesses you. Sharing a bit of my story earlier on, uh, I put a lot of emphasis on learning and getting knowledge. And my mum, because she came from a poor part of Glasgow, uh, and really because of where she came from, she wasn't able to pursue further education. Um, so there was quite an importance in education in our family you know uh, and that's where I learned to get praise from and recognition from from educational achievement usually it was like I'll put it into modern money it, it was like 50 pence for a good report card kind of thing you know <laughs> but I'd always been inquisitive i always been someone who questioned and, and as I say I read a lot and so I got I did well intellectually, but it was a, dif- a different story emotionally. My emotional growth, my emotional development was at a different rate to my intellectual abilities uh, because of the home situation, you know, disabled dad, three kids. And I didn't feel the world was a safe place, so kind of books and knowledge and everything was was where I retreated to. It's, it, it became my hiding place um, because it if it's unchangeable you know it's black and white you know answers are right or they're wrong there's nothing in between Uh, so it became a a real source of pride to be able to demonstrate to people how much I knew made me feel superior made me feel as though life wasn't really as crap as I thought it was Uh, and I guess when I became a a believer I just applied myself the same way you know went to Bible college to learn more I, I learned to memorise the scriptures and read and study the scriptures and just became another source of pride because it, it seems as though that's how Christian growth is measured. Christian maturity is measured by how much knowledge you accumulate. You know, you go to the prayer meeting and whoever can quote the most verses from Isaiah is like the most spiritual. <laughs> that kind of, you, know, you know what I'm talking about, that kind of thing. But... Pu- It's interesting, Paul writes something in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. And he says, he's in the middle of speaking about people going to these feasts and eating food sacrificed to idols. And he said, now about food sacrificed to idols. We know that we all possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The man who thinks he knows something does not yet know as he ought to know. And so Paul is speaking to a Greek audience here. You know, they understood the world from a Greek perspective. And the, for the Greeks, knowledge was supreme. And the quest for the, the Greek philosophers was the accumulation of knowledge. Because they thought that would give them understanding and, and make them somehow superior. And what what Paul's saying is, that this accumulation of knowledge... You know, learning and studying, that's not the way to grasp spiritual things. This is not how you understand spiritual reality. Just by the accumulation of, of knowledge or applying your intellect. He's saying, acquiring intellectual knowledge about God is not the same as knowing him. He's saying, you know, just because you know something does not mean to say that you understand. He's saying, in fact, he's saying... If you think you know something spiritual because you've learned it and studied it, then you do not yet know as you ought to. Now, there's this kind of knowledge we need to operate in the world. You know, you need to know how to work the cooker or the washing machine. or You know, if you're a joiner or an electrician, you need to understand how to do that, to do a good job. If you're a surgeon, you need to be able to know where to cut and where not to cut to save lives so there, are, there, are, there is knowledge that's necessary you know you need to know the rules of the road if you're going to drive on the road but that's not what Paul's speaking about he's speaking about spiritual stuff he's speaking about spiritual things and he's saying if you think you know something spiritual because you've studied it because you've learned it at an intellectual level then you do not yet know as you ought to know all you have is information about something it's not the same as, as knowing someone you know what? I, I could read a book about Fiona McDonald. You know, and all the chapters of, speaking about what a good cook she is, how beautiful she is, and all how lovely and generous she is, what a good teacher she is. And I can read all of that and say, oh, I know Fiona McDonald. I can listen to other people talking about her and saying, I know Fiona McDonald. And I think we've done that in Christianity. We read the book, we listen to people talking about God and say, I know God. But you see, I know Fiona Macdonald because I have spent 30 years in intimate relationship with her, getting to know her, letting her know me. And much of our Christianity, I think, is based on intellectual knowledge. And when we've, when we've acquired sufi- sufficient amounts of that spiritual knowledge, we say we know God. I think it leads to a really unsatisfying Christianity. And Paul's telling the readers, he's saying to them that intellectual knowledge, the acquisition of information, it just puffs you up, makes you proud. That was true in my experience, it made me proud. And we, we have this pride in, our, in the knowledge we possess and, and I think when we're in that place, it makes it very difficult to come to a, a place of true spiritual knowing. Or as Paul said, knowing as we ought to know. I think that's what Jesus was talking about when he said in, in Matthew chapter 11. He said, Father, I thank you. You have hidden these things, these revelations from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. And I, think, I thought that was interesting because who had the most revelation of anyone? Well, Jesus. He said, the father tells me everything shows me everything and what he's really saying is I'm just a little boy and because I live in that simplicity of childlikeness, you show me everything but those who are wise and learned those who have set themselves up as knowledgeable you hide it from them and they don't have revelation all they have is the knowledge that they've accumulated and Paul's saying when you're in that place you don't yet know as you ought to know and we've built our doctrine, we've, we've built theology and, and we've claimed it through our doctrine and our theology. We know God. And yet Paul's saying, if you think that, then you don't yet know as you ought to know. All you have is intellectual information. And I, Jesus criticised the Pharisees for the exact same thing. Didn't he? He said in John chapter 5 verse 39 and verse 40, he said, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And I think we live our Christianity a lot like that. We read the scriptures, we study the scriptures that testify about Jesus, that testify about who the Father is and who the Holy Spirit is, but we don't come to them in relationship and intimacy. We stick with the book and the sermons. Please hear me, I'm not saying stop reading the Bible. <laughs> the Bible a great book. I'm not saying stop listening to sermons. But by them alone you will not come to know God intimately the way he desires it. And I wonder when Paul was writing this in in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 if he was thinking about his own life as a Pharisee. I mean Paul had dedicated his whole life to preserving the scriptures. That's how the Pharisees began. You know, it started off as, as a group called the Hasidim during that time between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, when Greece was conquering the whole world. And they formed in order to preserve Israel's culture and religion and stop it from being contaminated by paganism and Greek thinking. And so that's that's what the Pharisees grew out of. And so their tradition is rooted in preserving the knowledge of God and the traditions of Israel. And Paul was one of these. He said he surpassed all of the young men of his age. He was zealous for God. He was passionate for God. He was passionate about keeping out contamination. And that's why he went around persecuting Christians because he thought they were contaminating Judaism. He knew God. He knew God's will and God's ways. And yet, it led to him becoming a murderer. His knowledge led him to becoming a murderer. Christians and I wonder if he's saying in that little those couple of verses in in 1 Corinthians 8 I wonder if what he's really saying is this is how I used to live I thought I knew everything but actually I didn't know as I ought to know and I think we focus so much on the mind which is really about keeping things external and out there keeping them away from our hearts I think it's how we operate within Christendom. And yet God is not looking at the things you do. You know God is not interested in how you serve him. He's not interested. When Samuel went to anoint the next king of Israel, he saw David's oldest brother Eliab. And he looked at him and said, surely this is the Lord's anointed because he was strong and handsome and tall and a warrior and all of those things. And the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And what the Lord is saying, you know, men are impressed by what you can see and what you can measure. And so in Christendom, you memorize the scriptures, you're, you're busy, you're hardworking, you're attending the meetings. This can all be seen and can all be measured. And contributes towards what we think is a good Christian or a spiritual man or woman. Or lack of attendance and lack of scripture knowledge means you're a bad Christian or a poor Christian. And yet, God is not looking at all of this stuff. He's saying, I don't look at the things men look at. Men look at the, the, outs, the outward things that can be measured. But I'm looking at the heart of every, every single person. I'm looking at your motivation, I'm looking at your attitude. You see, he's not interested in coming in and changing our minds and reindoctrinating our minds. We do that ourselves by the, the type of, of Christianity that we've been practicing for decades and centuries. What he wants to do is come and change our hearts. Because when your heart is changed, the motivation of your life changes and how you live that life changes. And you're actually, without you needing to do anything about it, you actually start to become a different person when your heart has been changed. When your heart's changed, you'll act differently, you'll, you'll speak differently, you'll live differently. And we have so many programs that are aimed at changing us and fixing us as Christians. And they're usually aimed at your head. You have to learn the, the foundations of Christianity, you have to learn discipleship. But just changing your mind will not change who you are. It won't. And it's who you are in your heart that will determine how you live your life. And there's a little, there's a verse in Proverbs that became a big focus for us in Father Heart Ministries. I think it's a verse that's important for everyone. And it's in in Proverbs chapter 4. In verse 23 of Proverbs chapter 4 says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Another version says that guard your heart with all diligence for it is the wellspring of life. And he's saying this because he's realised that our hearts are the most important part of us. Obviously I'm not talking about the muscle that pumps the blood around our our bodies. But that part of us where we experience life and where we interpret life. All the experiences of our life we interpret through the prism of our hearts. That part of us where Well, I guess it's almost like the processing centre of our lives. And ha- the way we live our lives is determined by the condition of our hearts, not by your intellect, not by what you know. I, I have a number of friends who paint, and I can say to to my friend Alan, you know, that's really good, but it-, it doesn't speak to me, it doesn't say anything to me. And what he hears is, John thinks that's a good painting, but it's not his taste. But I have other friends who paint, and I, and I can say to them, You know, that's good, but it doesn't speak to me. And what they hear me saying is, you're rubbish. That's crap. That's not what I'm saying, but that's what they hear. Because they've grown up in a different world from my friend Alan. And the way they interpret life is through the background of all of their experience. Their hearts have been conditioned differently. And the same words spoken to two different people can have completely two different meanings to them. I guess we all live in different worlds, really, because all of our hearts have have had different experiences. You know, for instance, if you grew up in a violent family environment and I start to talk to you about God being a father, you you just blank that. You know, I grew up in a a family where my dad did nothing. Not because he was lazy or, or a bad dad, because he was disabled. But when people spoke to me about God being a father to me, what does that mean? I have no experience of what that means A father is just someone who doesn't do anything for you But you have to do everything for them So serving God was You know, right up my street (laughs) But But if you grew up in a family where You interacted with your dad It was a good experience My wife had a great experience My wife understands football Because her dad used to take her to watch Partick Thistle Okay, I know that's not really football, but (laughs) he would take her to the library. He would take her to the park. And so for her to think of God being a a father, well, there was no really big issue. Yeah, she had to work through some stuff, but but the concept of it was not strange to her because she had a dad who did things with her and, and was good, you know and we just all live in these different worlds because of the way we've been affected the way our hearts have been touched um, our family environment the part of the world we grew up in our cultural attitudes and our school experience all of that different stuff different relationship experiences all of these things affect how we see life affect how we approach life affect how we see ourselves because they've touched our hearts they've moulded our hearts in a certain way and you might not even be able to, to put into words what you think, but but the way you see life is how your heart is, is through how your heart has been conditioned, and it's determined the way we've lived. It's determined the choices we've made, good or bad, all that stuff. And lots of lots of his, you know, when I became a believer, I wanted to become like Jesus. Because I saw what Jesus is like and thought, wow, imagine being like that. And there's been lots of sermons and books on how to do that. You know, that, I heard someone saying once, but how you write down, you, you get a, bit, a piece of paper and put a line down the page. And on one side, you write all of the characteristics of Jesus. You know, he's compassionate, he's kind, he's. And then on the other side of the page, you you measure yourself against these but how do I measure up against the p- compassion of Jesus and then you have to work hard to make yourself more like the compassionate Jesus or the kind Jesus Or and that's not God's way of doing it he doesn't do that through educating our brains or teaching us discipline he does it you know he's not trying to motivate you to make better decisions about your life and just applying your willpower to making it happen And yet that's how very often I've seen it presented to me. You know, if I want to be like Jesus, if I want to be a better Christian, I've got to change. I've got to do these sorts of things. I've got to mature. I've got to grow. I've got to do something to make it happen. You know, I have to do this. I have to do that. I have to stop doing this and I have to start doing that. You know, I have to develop these habit patterns. I have to develop this kind of behaviour. And yet becoming like Jesus is something that he does in us. You know, Paul tells us in Philippians, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfil his good purpose. If his purpose, according to Romans 8, is to be conformed to the image of his son, then is saying it's God who works that in you. It's him who fulfils that purpose in you. And I, I quoted 2 Corinthians 3 where Paul says that as we contemplate him, we are being transformed into his image. You know, in Philippians again, where it says, "He who began the good work will carry it on to completion until Christ Jesus comes." And so, becoming like Jesus is something that He does in us. It's not something we do ourselves, because the truth is, you can't change yourself. You know that by now, because you've you've tried it so often, and it didn't work. You can't change yourself into something you're not. Because your heart is what makes you who you are. And the way your heart has been affected by your life determines who you are. And that's why Proverbs says, keep your heart diligently because from it springs the issues of life. Everything that I am, everything that you are is because of the condition of your heart. Now you can change aspects of your behaviour. You can put your your determination into it through your willpower. You can change aspects of behaviour. But you know what happens when your determination runs out and your willpower runs out? Your change of behaviour goes back to what it used to be. You can make the right choices. You can do everything you know you're supposed to do as a Christian. Smile the right smile. Say the right words. But when things happen in our lives, when we hit crisis situations or difficulties or struggles, the real as comes out you know how many times have you said to someone you know you, you've reacted in some way and you say oh I'm so sorry that, that's just not me yes it was that was the real you <laughs> that burst of anger that stupid comment that silly choice that was the real you coming out Because Jesus said, when the pressure is on, didn't he? He said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. It's not what goes into a man that makes a man clean, but it's what comes out of him, out of his heart. And when the pressure is on, we will act and speak out of our true condition, the true condition of our hearts. So just changing your actions doesn't change who you are. It's just another fig leaf that we put on to make ourselves look better, to make ourselves look more presentable to the Christian world or, or the non-Christian world because our witness is important and all, all that kind of stuff but what we're discovering in this revelation of his love is that he is in the business not of changing behaviour but of changing hearts because when your heart is changed everything else begins to change as well when he changes our hearts, our attitudes change we, we automatically become different because he's conforming us to the image of his son You see, Jesus was who he was not because he did miracles or because he was divine. He emptied himself of all of that privilege of divinity. And Hebrews says that he became like us in every single way. You know, Jesus could sin. He could sin. If he couldn't sin, why would the devil tempt him? But he overcame that. You know, where Adam failed in the garden, Jesus succeeded in the desert. And so what he's doing is he's changing in inner hearts to, to the image of his son. Nothing else is capable of doing that. No programs, no ministry, disciplines, no spiritual practices. Jesus was the person he was and did the things he did because of who he was in his heart. Because of the relationship that he lived in with his father. And so Christianity is not about learning what the right thing to do is and then learning to do it. That's not Christianity. Yes, we resist sin, but but we need to understand that it's only God who can change our hearts. It's only God who can make us a Christ-like person. Nothing else can achieve that. The whole language of God is the language of the heart. I don't mean kind of romantic, fluffy, sentimental love, but but His purpose. And ministering to us is to change our hearts, to touch our hearts and heal our hearts, to fill our hearts and, and minister to our hearts so that we become the people we were created to be. That we become free people. mean, how free was Jesus? He could walk in water, he could walk through walls. When he had to pay his taxes, he sent his mate fishing. <laughs> being, being around someone who's really free, it's quite scary. You can't make them do anything they don't want to do. You can't make them go anywhere they don't want to go. That's quite scary in today's world. And the writer of Proverbs 4 said, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. That's what he's saying is, he's not saying memorise the scriptures because that will change you. It won't. Well, it did. It changed me. It made me more proud that I could remember scriptures and memorise scriptures that other people couldn't. But what he's saying is, let it come into your heart. I always think reading the scriptures should be like drinking a good malt whiskey. You see, you don't take a malt whiskey and just throw it down your throat. You know, like take a big slurp and gulp it down what you do with whisk, with a good whiskey is you take a little sip roll it around your mouth over your tongue let the flavours get released and I think reading the words should be more like that you just take a little bit and roll it around and let it let the flavour of it just come out instead of trying to rush through the, I've done my 17 chapters today I'm reading the Bible in three weeks <laughs> you know, <it's> like <laughs> no again there's nothing wrong with, with reading through the scriptures you know I've read through the Bible a few times in, in a, over a year or a couple of years but actually for it to, to do something in you I, I think it's just taking a bit of it and let it roll around and let the flavour of that be released in your life take it through the day, meditate on it, think about it and let it just rest in you. Find, let it come and find a resting place within you. And it will, it will do something in you much more than just memorising scripture will. What, what I've discovered is that if, when we get wounded in life, it's a wound in our hearts. And until that has been touched until that's been loved until that's been healed that, that, it's almost like that wound remains a part of who we are that as long as that's there we, we, we kind of limp through life in that area of our hearts in that area of life and that part of us doesn't operate the way it's supposed to operate the way we don't live the way we, we should be able to live in that part of our lives I and mean, I've gotten a couple of scars Got a little scar there in my wrist. Um, now, when I was a little boy, that was a big scar. But as I grew and got bigger, the scar didn't. It stayed small. And I think the same thing happens to our lives. When we've been wounded and broken in a part of our hearts and a part of our lives, we may grow, we may develop, we may get bigger. But that part of us that's been wounded doesn't grow, it, it stays in that broken state and I think it's why so many of us have childish reactions at times we overreact to to small situations and we don't understand why it's because there's a wound in that area of our hearts and it's like someone's you know when you've got a bruise and somebody presses it and it's a wee bit like ow stop that (laughs) well it's kind of like that in our hearts you know we talk about why did you react like that? And you say, well, they just pushed my buttons. <laughs> what they did was they put their finger on a wound in your heart and got a reaction from it. And w- we-, we have all of these reactions and think, I'm not, that's, that's shocking, I'm a Christian, I shouldn't be like that. I shouldn't have started shouting and swearing at that person. And that's not a good witness. That, I'll, I'm not going to let that happen again. I'm going to do it differently again what happens the next time we do the same thing <laughs> what we're discovering is that that father isn't in, the, isn't in business of healing those wounds he heals those scars enables us that part of our lives to, to start to grow back into maturity he You know, when your heart's been starved, when it's been neglected and and ignored, when it's not received the love that it craved or love that it should have received, when you've lived a life and the affection that you needed has been withheld from you or when you've received the opposite and, and you've been treated cruelly. You know, your experience growing up was getting knocked about or neglected or abandoned then it does scar us inside. It leaves us broken and twisted somewhere in our hearts. And if that's happened to our hearts, we'll be stuck there in that place. Not our whole lives, not our whole hearts, but just that part where it was scarred, where it was wounded. And what he does is, is he loves us. As he pours his love into our hearts, his love. It's almost like when someone does something to us that causes us pain and wounding, It's like someone's lobbed a grenade into into our hearts, and it's just blown a big hole in the foundations of our lives. And what he does is he comes and begins to pour his love into our hearts, and it pours into the holes in our lives. He's not coming to just say, "I'm going to fix you so that you can be a great Christian and get into the battle." And he's just coming to love us. But one of the effects of his love is that it pours into all of these wounded places in our hearts all of these broken parts of our lives and begins to reform or reformat those parts of our hearts and just fills it up. It can take time. But as we learn to open our hearts to his love, we will find that our hearts begin to change and our lives begin to change. Our perspective changes. We have a new way of looking at things. Well, what Paul's talking about when he says, you know, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you might see the hope to which he has called you. He's saying, as his love pours into our hearts, then we begin to see differently. We begin to understand differently. And when we see differently and understand differently, we begin to live differently. As he touches our hearts with his love. And I guess the question for us is, can we open our hearts? Because what happens is we get wounded, we, life experiences teach us that people can cause pain. That's how I grew up. People hurt you, people abandon you, people reject you. So the best thing is to close your heart off. To try and avoid further pain. But what we're doing is we're closing down who we really are. We're not, our, we're not allowing ourselves to be our, our true selves. We, we're putting on fig leaves and, and putting on a facade of who we think we should be. And we're closing down who we really are because your heart is what makes you who you are. You know, we have the ability to make choices. We have a willpower that we can direct. I can choose to do that or choose not to do that. I can choose to do the work of God or choose not to do the work of God. And so you can direct yourself in, into courses of action but you can't change your heart. That's who you are. I think, I'm not sure what your heart is exactly. I think your heart is that bit that connects all of you. You It's almost like there's an overlap of of your your body, soul and spirit and that overlap part is where your heart is. The centre of everything and, and the processing of everything. And so we can learn to do loving things we can learn to do the right things but is that because that's the attitude and motivation of our hearts or is it because we've learned this is the right thing to do as a Christian you know we we speak of the longest journey in life is from the 18 inches from your head to your heart do you know why it's so difficult to get things from your head to your heart because there's no road there there's no pathway from your head to your heart We think, we speak about getting understanding in spiritual matters and we apply our logic and our intellect to try and understand God and his ways. We study the Bible, we debate. You know, I tell you why your theology is wrong and you tell me why my theology is wrong. But it's all based on our ability to do it, our ability to learn. And the problem I have with that is, it leaves me with a question. Does it mean that someone who's intellectually disadvantaged, can't know God. It doesn't mean that someone who struggles with mental incapacity can't know God because they don't have the ability to understand at an intellectual level the scriptures or the sermons they're listening to. Well, if it was based in intellect then yes, that would be true. But I know lots of people who are very intellectually challenged who love the Lord because he touches their hearts <laughs> but understanding is not an intellectual exercise Isaiah tells us in Isaiah chapter 6 you know when he says when he sees the Lord high and lifted up and the Lord says who, will, who, will, who can we send who will go for us And Isaiah says, here am I, send me. And in verse 9, the Lord said, go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the hearts of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. And I think as we come to look at this whole revelation of love, the love of the Father we lay down all that we think we know all that we think we've learned the knowledge that we've acquired The, I think realising I came to a place and, and sometimes I still come to that place that realise despite all the, the information that I've accumulated all the, the knowledge that I possess within modern Christianity I, I still think Paul's words are true We do not yet know as we ought to know. You see, we were designed to live out of our hearts. Not our will, not our emotions, not our intellect, but our hearts. And I don't know about you, but when I first became a Christian, I was taught Jeremiah 17, verse 9 the heart is wicked and deceitful above all things. And I I believed that for so long. You can't trust your heart because the heart is wicked and deceitful. But that's not what God says in Ezekiel 36. He says, I will give you a new heart. In other words, he's saying, I will renew the heart that is in you. I will remove from you your heart of stoning and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my degrees and be careful to keep my laws. He said, my spirit in you will cause you to walk in such a way that you'll fulfil what's necessary. He's saying, I have renewed your heart. And if you're born again, your heart has been changed. Your heart has been and is in the process of being renewed continually. That's why Paul can say in Galatians and and Romans, those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. He's saying that my Spirit in you will lead you and you can change your mind you can educate your mind about a lot of things but just because your mind is changed doesn't mean your heart has been changed doesn't mean your heart's even been touched at all you can learn loads of things you can learn what you're supposed to do as a Christian you know you're supposed to not smoke not drink not whatever laws that have been laid down in your tradition it's, it's funny I was speaking about this and maybe the German guys know what I'm talking about my friend always says you know Germany is so strange. In the north of Germany, to drink alcohol is the worst sin you can commit. But, you know, smoking the odd cigarette is not a big problem. But in southern Germany, if you don't have a drink, there's something wrong with you. But woe betide you if you smoke. <laughs> you know, and so, I wonder what happens to the guys who live right on the border between south and north Germany. <laughs> Are they just constantly wasted? (laughs) But, you know, so we can learn the right things to do, but that's all determined by culture, isn't it? It's all determined by so many different things. And yet, even though we know the right things or the wrong things, we know what we're supposed to do, sometimes it's just not in our hearts to do it. Sometimes we just don't have the heart to do it. Our heart's not in it. But what I've discovered is when the Lord touches our hearts and begins to change our hearts we begin to love what he loves. It's not a case of having to do the right thing or the wrong thing. Our hearts are just changed to love what he loves. To to think like he thinks to to do what he loves automatically. A changed heart just produces that in us. And we don't even notice that it's happening. Because when love comes in, it begins to undo everything that, I don't know, unlove, if you like, it's not even a word. But everything that we've experienced that has crippled us in terms of loving and receiving love, when we begin to open our hearts and take a chance, take a risk that love is actually real and will not give up on us, it begins to reverse all of that rubbish that's happened in our lives. You know, when I was first married and we'd go to bed at night, my wife would put her arms around me, I would just freeze up and be like, don't touch me, don't touch me. I just couldn't handle love. I didn't know how to receive love. I mean, what do I do with it? You know, I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about love, intimacy. You see, because that involves the heart. And I didn't know what to do with that. I'd closed my heart to all of that. But as I've learned to, to trust him. That he's not. You know First Corinthians 13. All of that stuff about love. God is love. So what, that's, what Paul's saying is God is patient. God is kind. God never fails. God keeps no record of your wrongs. And so as I've learned to trust that that's true of him. And love has been poured into my heart. It's. It's reversing all of that that trauma in my life. It's healing the brokenness. Thank you for listening to the iDestiny podcast. For further information, check out www.idestiny.org.uk.